When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Good afternoon, everybody. It is Wednesday in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. My name is Adam Bittner, Assistant Sports Editor for Multimedia at the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Back for our weekly Penn State sports show, Penn State football show, with Seth Engel of the Post-Gazette and the Daily Collegian. Seth, we're, we're talking after a nail-biting Penn State victory on Saturday against Indiana, getting ready for Maryland this week. How are you doing? I'm doing well, yeah. we're uh, It's Halloween. And that's fun. You know, obviously I'm not trick-or-treating, um, you know, but there were some funny costumes this, uh, this Saturday at Beaver Stadium. Um, there was a guy who dressed up like as Connor Stallions. So they were kind of just like in the stands. I thought that was, that was pretty interesting. Um, you know, other than that, the student section wasn't too packed. But, you know, looking forward to going to Maryland. I've never – I think I was there once for my cousin's college graduation when I was a kid, but I've never been to a game there. Um, and I've heard good things about College Park, so looking forward to that. Yeah, it's a good little stadium there on uh, the College Park campus. Fits in really well. Um, you know, I, I was down there a couple of years ago covering West Virginia. It was a nice trip. They got uh, they got Chick Fil A in the press box. You have that to look forward to. Um, we're gonna talk, yeah, the, the good stuff. I got a nice little box of uh, waffle fries and a chicken sandwich, and uh, it was good. Cool. I'm looking forward to that. Absolutely. So we are going to talk about Penn State's offense under Mike Yersich, I think, in, in the whole over his three years here at Penn State and then kind of narrow the focus a little bit um, to this season and kind of, kind of go through grading because there's been a lot of debate about how Penn State's offense has looked lately, a little bit turgid. Um, how much is Mike Yersich to blame? Should we be, be discussing a, a possible change of coordinator? Um, we're going to get into all of that in a second. Just wanted to remind you, before we get going too far, that this show is brought to you by Voodoo Brewery and State College. Just in time for the change in weather, the crew at Voodoo Brewing State College, located right off College Avenue at 201 Elmwood Street, has launched their new seasonally inspired line of cocktails, including the crowd favorite hot spiked apple cider. And that's not all. Beginning in the middle of October, the State College Pub now has, uh, has opened its new kitchen. The kitchen is now owned and operated by Voodoo Brewing Company and will feature the elevated pub fare made famous at their other Voodoo locations, they will also continue to offer items like the lobster roll and crab cake sandwich that have become synonymous with the State College Pub. So make sure you get down there, check them out. Um, let's get into this, Seth. Let's let's talk about Mike Yersich. Last year, I think the results really were what a lot of Penn State fans were hoping for. It was not exactly that high for you and I have talked about this on the show. It was not the 2016 offense when Trace McSorley was throwing missiles all over the field. I think that's going to be hard for anyone to replicate. Um, you know, when teams are taking Penn State's athlete, athletes seriously. But it was a good offense. Nick Singleton, Katron Allen leading the way. You have very solid receivers in Mitchell Tinsley, Parker Washington. 
uh, making a dangerous passing game. Um, but this year you've, you've seen some struggles with, with Drew Aller, more of a grinded out uh, type of offense. And then in the past couple of weeks against Ohio State, the biggest game of the year, and then against Indiana, a game that kind of I think became one of the biggest of the year for Penn State because of the because of the struggles on both offense and defense. Um, things have started to bog down. How would you grade Mike Yursich? I guess in the whole, and then um, his work this season as we look toward twenty twenty four a little bit. Yeah, I think when you look at kind of the bear the bear stats of you know, putting points on the board and being able to do that consistently. I think Penn State's been good this year. Um, but as Franklin keeps repeating every week, you know, the stats don't really tell the whole story. And I think that's very true with this Penn State offense. Um, you know, I think Drew Aller has shown flashes at times, and I think he's shown potential. And I think, you know, his build definitely puts him in a position to to do things that, you know, not many other quarterbacks are able to do. But this year especially, I think the main difference – you know, it's not even a Yersich thing. It's like you said, it's not having a Parker Washington or even a Mitchell Tinsley. It is that wide receiver core. Um, and it's really hard to to kind of judge a whole unit um, based on their play when it's just they have receivers that came in. They they did their, their due diligence in the transfer portal. Um, they got Dante Cephas and Malik McLean, and it just hasn't worked out. For whatever reason, it hasn't worked out. Penn State has been left with um, – kind of this this group that that has not been able to define themselves as as legitimate you know and at least legitimate in in the sense that they're good enough to to beat ohio state um now you know going back to mike yersich i think it's a problem that given that situation that they weren't able to develop a group that was good enough to compete um especially when the rest of the team was you know, maybe the best they've had in years. So I think that's a problem. And I think it's also a problem that, you know, they haven't been able to find, you know, any other solution to win um, even with, even with those receiver struggles. Do you have a, do you want to just grade him for this year? I'd say he's at a C plus for me. I think they've done some good things. Um, They've scored points. They were opportunistic. We, you know, you and I talked about that on some earlier podcasts that, you know, they weren't always driving the field well in some of those early Big Ten games, but they were taking advantage of short fields. They were taking advantage of what the defense gave them to work with and and still averaging 40 points a game going into the yeah. Ohio State game. So I think you have to give him credit for that. I think the reason I give him a C plus is because I grade on a little bit of a curve. And, and if this is a program that, um, you know, wants to be on a national championship level, I don't think you can have production like you've had the last couple of weeks and at different points in this Big Ten calendar. You need an offense that can can sustain drives, um, can be explosive so that you don't have to string drives together all the time. And, and those are things that we're just not seeing. And, you know, if Mike Yersich was doing this at Alabama or if Mike Yersich was doing this at Ohio State, if Mike Yersich was doing this at, at Michigan – how would he be interpreted by their fan bases and, and those results be interpreted by their fan bases? I think it'd be a little bit more harsh. And, and that's why I think I go C plus for this year. I think for his tenure overall, I give him a B plus just given that, um, you know, like you said, when he's had the weapons, you see what, what the offense he's capable of running can look like. Um, but I think there's also, you know, when you look at this season, there's also a, a level on which, listen, you knew who your personnel was. You knew what their limit. You should have known what their limitations were early on, 
and and you should have figured out, I think, some better ways to to keep them involved and scheme them open and and those types of things. I think that when when you're an offensive coordinator, a you got to develop talent, and b when you do have limitations, you got to figure out how to get the most out of that. And I think that's my biggest critique of him so far is that um, you did get these transfers, you did have these guys that have been in the program, and that this is the best that that you're able to do with it with a whole year to prepare. Um, I, I think there's I think there's room for criticism there. Yeah, I think a C plus is fair. I think maybe a B minus is even fair. Um, you kind of brought up the uh, the question of okay, what what if he was this SEC coordinator at you know a power at a powerhouse school? What if he was at Ohio State or Michigan? You know, how would he kind of be viewed differently? And I think it's interesting to bring that up because I think it actually you know calls for a much deeper question of of Penn State's capabilities. Um, those schools are loaded with five-star wide receivers. Like you look at Ohio State, you look at that receiving court every single year, the talent is always going to be there. You know, there are, what, three or four, maybe even five receivers in Ohio State that would be a top one or two receiver on Penn State right now. And you look down the line, you know, at these other top schools, Alabama's had, you know, tons of, of, you know, NFL talent come through that program. Um, And so is Penn State too. But this year, it's like the luck has run out. The talent is not there. And, and you know, it's kind of hard. Like I said before, it's hard to judge Mike Yersich on what he's able to do in, in, in his pass offense because that talent is nowhere even remotely close to Ohio State or Michigan or Georgia or Alabama. Um, it's just interesting. And, like, I don't know. People like to say all the time that Franklin is this, you know, genius recruiter and and that's really what, what he's known for. He's not known for beating the ranked teams and the top 10 teams, but he's known for recruiting well. Why does Penn State not have a great receiving core? Why are they, why are they not bringing in five Even a good receivers? one. Even a good yeah. receiving core, I think, gets the job done. You know, Penn State's right. had some, some guys that are first-round, second-round NFL draft picks. I don't think you necessarily needed that for this team. You needed 21 points at Ohio State. Um, you didn't need to light the scoreboard up like you have in past years with Ohio State when maybe the defense wasn't as solid as it is this year. You needed 21 points and you couldn't do it. Um, and, and I think that is that is where you kind of get to the, the level of criticism. Um, and I know there's there's some people out there talking about should Mike Yersich be on a hot seat? Um, and, and I think it very much, Seth gets back to this, what is Penn State? What is the bar for Penn State? If it's 10-2 and two and making a New Year's Six Bowl, then – then you look at last season, what Mike Yersich did. Um, you look what he's done most of this season. You probably say that's good enough and for at least another year. But if you look at it through the lens of, you know, we want to compete for a national championship, um, I think you could justify making a change based on what you've seen. What say you on that? I would say no. Yeah, I, I think I look back at Sean Clifford's tenure at Penn State, and I say that's a huge red flag. I don't want to get rid of the offensive coordinator. Um, Mike Yersich was the man who initially recruited Drew Aller. This was when he was still, I believe he was still down south. I think he was, but he was either at Oklahoma State or, or Texas at the time um, when him and, and, and Drew first got in contact. Um, and this was when Drew was not this high profile um, kind of QB that he turned out to be, um, you know, at least in, in the high school ranks. So they've had a relationship that's, you know, years long. Um, when no one else was believing in Drew Aller, Mike Yersich was. You follow that through. Yersich comes to Penn State, calls up Drew. Drew follows him there, and now they're together. 
you don't want to shake that up. You don't want to do that, especially for a quarterback who's obviously still developing. You know, this is not this is not the Drew Aller that that, that is going to uh, potentially play in the NFL one day. Like this is maybe he has to build it, but it's not he's not there yet. Mike Yersich needs to stay and and continue to work with Drew um, so that they can potentially get the most out of his potential. I don't think that switching up the playbook on a second year starting quarterback and and changing up, uh, you know, your conversations and your relationships is, is the way to go about it. So, no. I've seen some criticism. I'm glad you brought up Drew Aller because I did want to talk about him a little bit and, and where he fits into this offensive um, malaise. I saw some criticism. I think it was for the bloggy uh, that basically was arguing, hey, the receivers are open sometimes. Um, and, and he thought that the, the it was a reductive argument to say that the Penn State's receivers are not good enough that Drew Aller deserved some blame for not finding them. Um, where do you where do you assign, you know, kind of the, the scales on that? I would say I think the receivers are not open often enough for Drew Aller to trust them to be there. And so it, I understand why he's missing open receivers because when, when you don't trust them to be there and when you're not in – you can't get in that rhythm and, of expectation, I think that, that disrupts your ability to find them when they are there because – in some ways, you're not expecting it, and and um, so so I kind of probably put it more on the receivers in terms of the heavy weight of, of what's going on here. Um, do you do you think that, that that criticism is is reductive of the receivers? Do you think it's a little bit more nuanced than that, or do you assign a higher level of blame blame to the receivers as well? Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. I agree with you. Like, I still think that the number one problem with this offense is the receivers. Like, they, like watching Ohio State and seeing Marvin Harrison Jr., was just it was just like okay this guy is single-handedly winning Ohio State the game right now and he is a player that Penn State has not even someone like in the same league not even in the same sport of um you know the receivers aren't getting open which is probably the worst thing you can have for first year starting quarterback you know you can talk about protection all you want and he is being protected by you know a man on the left side who's going to go probably top 10 in the next year's draft um, so he is, he has the time at, at, at certain points, he has the time and he is standing there and he is not finding his receivers and people are complaining about checkdowns because he doesn't have an open receiver. Now, sure. There are times when, when receivers are open, um, and Drew is either not seeing them or missing them. Like it's happened, but that's just, that's first year starting quarterback stuff. You know, that is the stuff that you should expect to see when you're watching a 19 year old kid on a big 10 stage like that's natural what isn't natural is the fact that you go through all four quarters and you don't have you know, like you have one opportunity for for an explosive play maybe two opportunities for an explosive play and those are obviously harder plays to execute so if one of them sails if Drew misses one guy on his one attempt of the four quarter game then on the second attempt I mean it's just like you, you don't you only have so many opportunities you know what I mean like I don't know. It, it's it to me. It's the receivers. Um, 
I, I think Drew is developing. He's he's seeing the game um, from a different perspective, and that is just you know he's working through that. And I don't think it helps that he only has Keandre Lambert Smith right now, and even he's not necessarily he's not he's not any Jahan Dotson. Yeah, I think I think Keandre Lambert Smith is kind of limited as a number one, but the th- the comparison I think you can make between him and let's say Marvin Harrison Jr. is you can see the chemistry there, right? Um, you can see the chemistry between quarterback and receiver, and um, I think he has that level of expectation that he can find Keandre Lambert Smith with some regularity. I, there, there's no one else that I think he really has that type of relationship with, and and I think that you know, hurts when it was in terms of everyone else, but I don't think it's also think it helps in terms of, you know, I know one of the things that James Franklin talked about Tuesday at his weekly news conference was the, the confidence boost that, that hitting a long pass did like, like he did to Keandre Lambert Smith and the waning minutes on Saturday can, can boost confidence, but it can also change how defenses approach you. Do you think that that one pass Seth can change can change that perception? Or do you need to see more consistency to believe that defenses are going to change the way they play Penn State um, for fear of that big play? I mean, I think it can, but it's like that's his second 50-yard pass of the year, and the first one was in the season open. So it's, I'm not I'm not looking at that one pass. I mean, I'm looking at that one pass, and I'm saying, okay, this kid has potential. I'm, look, I'm not looking at that pass and saying, okay, we need to change our whole playbook to – for, for this quarterback who has this massive arm um, for this explosive offense. That's not what this is. It's been two passes of over 50 yards this year, and they were eight weeks apart. So it's like, I don't know. It, it hasn't changed too much in my mind. I think I understand what, what James was saying when he when he said that. And I think if, if more of these explosive plays come, if teams continue to defend Penn State like they're lacking explosiveness, which they are, um, and and some holes open up, then then defenses might have to start talking. But after Indiana, like Indiana almost had that game, you know, with five minutes left, they almost had that game. I'm gonna I'm gonna play Penn State exactly how Indiana played them, because that worked. You know, I'm gonna play Penn State exactly how Ohio State played them. Um, that's what I'm saying if I'm a defensive coordinator. So no, I don't. I wait a couple more weeks and see what happens with the explosiveness. But we've been saying that every week, and it hasn't come. Right, right. And and I think, you know, if you're Penn State, you're probably hoping you're not in crunch time situations like these the rest of the year. I mean, I, I think that was part of it, too, is, um, you know, th- they're trying to, to creep up a little bit late in the game to get the ball back. Um, so maybe they're not, you know, looking looking for the deep ball as much. So credit Penn State for being aggressive in that situation, um, you know, and, and making the most and, and, you know, making the game winning play. But um, I, I don't know how much you can take away from that on a, on a week-to-week basis when you're playing a team like Maryland, when you're playing a team like Rutgers, like what's left of Michigan State here in the coming weeks. You, if you're Penn State, you better not be in a dogfight with those teams, right? Yeah, it's like the Indiana game, the follow-up Ohio State was just – I mean, it was just like, come on. Like we're, I'm sitting up in the press box, and I'm watching, and I'm like, what is going on here? Like it's – is are they like were they through with Ohio State? Like I don't think they were, because the whole week. I mean, when we talked to Franklin on Wednesday, he, his whole talk was about like moving on. Like every time someone asked an Ohio State question, he'd be like, "We're moving on to Indiana." And then it gets to to Saturday, and it just feels like they haven't moved on. Like it's like they didn't get over the loss yet because they're playing the same exact way that they played, which was terribly. 
it, it was so I don't know. I, I mean, maybe now with with two weeks moving forward, when it comes to Maryland, they'll finally get over it. But I mean, for some of those seniors, um, for some of those those veterans that are going to head out after this year, you know, that's not a game you get over pretty easily. So I don't know. It, it's it, they got to. I mean, they they got to tear Maryland apart. If if I'm James Franklin, like. I want to go into Maryland and literally tear them limb from limb, like his former program. Um, this is a team that is very much on the decline since losing to Ohio State. Like, they're going to want to show them. So it, it shouldn't be close. Indiana shouldn't be close, but it was. So, you know, it's really hard to, to kind of judge what Penn State's going to do here because they're, they're just up in the air. Well, I did want to ask you about Maryland, Seth, because this is a quarterback you and I have liked a lot since the preseason, uh, Talia Tagovailoa, um, and especially given the breakdowns we saw from this Penn State defense this past weekend, do you have any concern about about his ability to make big plays against this defense if if Maryland can do what Ohio State and Indiana have done and and kind of force the Penn State defense to be on the field for more than it has for much of the season leading into the Ohio State game. Because I think that was something you and I talked about going into Ohio State was if you looked at some of Penn State's starters, they still had fewer than 200 snaps going into the um, seventh game of the year. Last couple games, they've been on the field a lot more, and it feels like they've been exposed on some level. Does Maryland give you any concern on the offensive side um, that, that, that maybe they can hit some big plays like Indiana did and possibly be even a little bit more dangerous? Yeah, Maryland's a pretty underrated offensive team. Um, you know, mind you, this is also a team that's lost their their last three games. I don't think they want to lose a fourth. Um, I think Tagovailoa is is good, as we've talked about. But I think Penn State's defense is better. You know, for all the concerns I have about Penn State's offense, you know, I am not concerned at all about that defense. Indiana was a game that I think they looked a little sluggish. But 24 points was a season high that they've allowed. Um, which is very impressive through eight games. 24 points is your season high. That's that, you know, I'm, I'm patting myself on the back if I'm Manny Diaz. Um, but I know they're not satisfied with 24 at all um, to a bad Indiana offense. They're not satisfied about that. Um, I think this is going to be a game that they're going to kind of show up hungry and um, not let the same thing happen on the road, um, which happened a couple weeks ago at Ohio State. Um, but, yeah, I think Tagovailoa is able to do some things. You know, they scared Ohio State. Um, they looked better against Ohio State than Penn State did. So I think they're able to do some things. And I think, you know, they have a decent run game too. I think Roman Hemby is all right. Um, but Penn State's been able to lock down the run this year, um, even against Ohio State. And, you know, so, so we'll kind of see what happens. But I, I am pretty confident in that Penn State defense. Yeah, I kind of like this to be a, you know, I don't want to say a similar game to Indiana. I think what made the Indiana game bad was not so much that they came out of the gates flat a little bit. Instead, they didn't pull away later. And I think I would not be surprised to see Maryland, um, you know, hit a few hit a few big plays, score some points, um, kind of do what they did to Ohio State, which was, you know, they, they stayed with Ohio State. They scored enough points to stay in that game until late. And then Ohio State pulled away because they were just the better team. I could see something similar happening here, where it's maybe a you know a one possession game deep into the third quarter, and then um, you know Penn State really starts to turn it on. I think the key for Penn State is is don't make the mistakes 
you know, specifically that interception that Drew Aller threw that, that keeps the door open for Maryland. I think when that time comes, you, you have to see them be able to close the door. Um, Seth got a couple more questions before you, for you, before I let you go. Um, Number one, uh, Penn State appears to have lost out on the number one recruit in Pennsylvania this year. So here, Mathis narrowed his um, his his group of rich schools he's choosing from to five, and Penn State wasn't in that. And you know, anything can happen in the recruiting world. Things, a lot of things can change between now and signing day. You never really know what to expect, but it appears Penn State is going to lose out on the top top in state recruit. When you and I are talking about this gap to Ohio State. Is this not kind of one of the – and Ohio State is in that top five. Um, is this not one of the things you bring up when, when you see the difference between Ohio State and, and Penn State is that Ohio State, you know, wins these battles and, and gets their in-state guys, and, and Penn State sometimes does not, and, and then that's the difference between, you know, being a great team and an elite team, as James Franklin likes to say. Yeah, it is. You, you hit it right on, right on the nail there. Like that is Marvin Harrison Jr. He's from Philadelphia. He didn't go to Penn State. Kyle McCord is from Philadelphia. He was Marvin Harrison Jr.'s teammate. He didn't go to Penn State. Um, Julian Fleming, in-state guy. People thought he was going to go to Penn State. He went to Ohio State. So here Mathis is now, you know, this five-star, you know, top 100 prospect for 2025. And he's not even putting Penn State in his top five. You know, and he's putting Ohio State in there. Um, That's a concern. You know, that is a concern to me, especially – when Penn State was just beginning to build that base at Imhotep, you know, the, the Philadelphia powerhouse that they really hadn't recruited too well at um, in recent years, they they brought in two commits in, in 2024 and to Sear Denmark and uh, Kenny Wosley. Um, so, you know, once you start building that, you start to think, okay, well, maybe some of these more high-profile Philly kids are going to start coming. And this is a Penn State defense, Penn State defensive line, I should say, that's led by a Northeast Philly grad and Deion Barnes. And still, so here Mathis is not, you know, it doesn't look like he's trending to Penn State. You know, there's obviously, like you said, there's still time, but top five, you know, that's, you know, we're not even talking about a commitment here. We're talking about this is a top five. You know, he's going to narrow that down again to three, and then he's going to make his, his commitment and Penn State Penn State got left out at uh, at five. How do you change that paradigm, Seth? How do you how do you start getting these guys that 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 make the difference at the national championship level? Um, you know, is it a matter of nil? You know, as, as we look forward into this new world, is it a matter of sometimes you've just got to beat Ohio State so that the recruits can see it and say, okay, I now I can imagine um, you know Penn State being being what they claim to be. Um, is it a combination of those things? How do you, you know, size that up as, as how you close that gap in recruiting, um, you know, on a year-to-year basis? Well, I thought that when they hired Deion Barnes, it was going to help a lot, you know, because Philly is the main kind of, I guess, section of the country that, that you need to lock up if you're Penn State. You know, that's, it's the biggest city near you. Um, there's a ton of talent. You haven't recruited there well historically. Um, you're missing out on all these guys. Like I, that was just that has to be the number one thing. Um, I think it helps that Penn State is kind of moving across the country and going to Wisconsin and dipping into Florida a little bit and getting some guys in Alabama. Um, but you know, Franklin says it all the time. You know, 
the best in state stay in state. Like that is his mentality. And they've done well everywhere else except for Philadelphia, which is cream of the crop. That's that's where everyone is. Um, that's where you got to get your guys, and they just have not done that consistently. Um, even when it's looked at times that – I don't know, they're building that. But I don't know, whether it's NIL or whatever, I don't, I don't know exactly what it is because it seems like it's a Philly thing. It's working everywhere else except for where it matters most. So – I'm not sure. Right, right, and I just I wonder, you know, if there are any lessons that can be learned from Terry Smith because you want to talk about the other big metro in the state that you know. Listen, the, the WPIAL is not what it used to be. Um, it does not power Penn State in the same way that it did, you know, in the '80s in the Joe Paterno days. Um, you know, the population decline has has taken its toll, but Penn State has still gotten some really good guys out of Pittsburgh, and and especially lately. Terry Smith has really locked up and, and kind of denied guy we're going to talk about in a second, Pat Narduzzi, those Pittsburgh guys that he wants to keep, not just in state, but in region. Um, I wonder if there are some lessons to be learned that, that you can apply in Philadelphia from what Terry Smith has done, um, you know, in Pittsburgh. Um, I did want to bring up Pat Narduzzi, though, because it seemed like James Franklin took a not-so-subtle dig at the pit coach today. Um, he, he was asked about – um, you know, criticism and how he handles it to not shake things up in the locker room. Um, and he basically said, I'm, you know, I'm mindful of that. And some coaches do that better than others. The subtext being that after Pitt got its doors blown off by Notre Dame this past week, Pat Narduzzi basically said, um, and this was not I, I, the full quote, uh, but check that out on postgazette.com. But he, he used the word, uh, we, we could use some better players than the guys that we've got. And that started a little bit of a revolt from pit players on social media. Were you surprised to see um, James Franklin punching down a little bit today at Pat Narduzzi? Or, or do you think he smells a little bit of blood in the water with the, with the season pits having and um, sees an opportunity to kind of really bury Narduzzi in this recruiting cycle? Well, when he started his tangent today, kind of about answering questions and the way that he does it and the way he handles press conferences, I wasn't really caught off guard because he had talked about the same exact thing on Wednesday. Like he had, he had mentioned this before the whole Pat Narduzzi thing happened. He had already talked about this thing. Um, and then all of a sudden winding down, you know, he said his spiel and then all of a sudden he just goes, um, you know, and there have been some coaches out there who you've seen, you know, it, you know, it hasn't gone well, you know, they haven't handled it well or something. And I'm like, I'm sitting there watching this. I'm like, whoa, like, like I, then I, my, my brain starts working. I'm like, right away. I'm like, I'm not going to say this is Pat Narduzzi, but like, it seemed like it could have been towards Pat Narduzzi, which was just like, why? Like he, it's so strange because Franklin was talking about ways that he, you know, he, he answers questions so that he doesn't get kind of misquoted um, or taken out of context. And, and then in turn will, you know, kind of take his team's focus off of, you know, the job at hand. Um, and while he's saying that, you know, he's potentially taking a shot at someone. Um, and that's, you know, it's, it was just funny and I'm not really sure why he did that. I feel like he could, he could probably left that out and it would have been the same point. Um, but it's uh, this cold war between Penn state and Pitt is like, it's 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 very interesting because I feel like they keep taking these like subtle shots. They're not going to say their names. They're also not going to play each other. But like they're just acknowledging the fact that they don't like each other and they're just going to 
you know, throw shots at each other. That was my takeaway from that. Again, I don't know if it was meant to be a shot at Pat Narduzzi, but it very it very well seemed like it. Well, I mean, Pat Narduzzi has taken that kind of su- like not so subtle dig at James Franklin probably a half dozen to a dozen times right. during this this era. But J- James Franklin's never really punched back in that way. Um, that's why I was was a little bit surprised to, to, to see it. But you know, like you said, if we're not going to get if we're not going to get games on the field between these two teams, it is fun to have a little spice um, thrown into a press conference from time to time. Um, Seth, any final thoughts as we wrap up the week here and look toward Maryland? No, I think that's pretty much it. You know, it's we're just we're rolling along now. You know, we are late in the season. Um, you know, when it all boils down to it, Penn State just has to beat Michigan. You know, that's what I keep – all my friends are asking me, you know, what's the path to the playoff? I'm like, it doesn't matter. Like, they just have to beat Michigan, and then we'll kind of see what happens. But, you know, it starts with Maryland this weekend. So, um, yeah. Yeah, I think this game – like, listen, I, I know no Penn State fans want to hear but I think this is the game that's going to determine whether you go to a New Year's Six Bowl or not. Um, you know, I, I think you beat Rutgers pretty safely. I don't know that they have the playmakers to really challenge you. I think Michigan State is a mess, and they're going to be ready to go home um, by, you know, on that Black Friday game at Ford Field. Um, they're going to be ready to be done. Um, I, I think Maryland is, is the, live, the live dog you have here to deal with. I think if you win this game, you're, you're talking at least about a New Year's Six Bowl, which, you know, I think going into, um, you know, going into the 12-team playoff era, I think it's important for you to plant that flag one more time and say we do belong in that top 12. We're going to be a team you have to reckon with to get there next year. Um, so I think this is a, a sneakily big game for Penn State. Yes, it's Maryland. Yes, it's a team that you beat almost every time. Um, but I think they're probably one of the better teams in this Big Ten this year, Seth, still even despite these these past couple of losses. And uh, if you get this, I, I, I think you – can have a claim to still having had a successful season, even if you lose to Michigan um, and finish 10 and two, I, I think this is a big one. And I think if you lose it, then you, you start to talk about this season as a major disappointment. Um, so I think it's a big game. So thanks for talking to me, Seth. We will talk to you again next week. Uh, you'll be on here Saturday after the Maryland game um, offering your take as well. So make sure you're signed up to the Post-Gazette Sports Now YouTube channel. Subscribe, please like this if you helped uh, enjoyed it, help us out in the YouTube algorithm. And uh, also keep in mind Christopher Carter on the North Shore Drive earlier today. A lot more Steelers uh, Titans talk leading into the Thursday night game. So check that all out as well. Um, I'm going to sign off from there. We'll talk to you all soon. Thank you for checking out this content from Post Gazette Sports. If you enjoyed the video, please like it and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Check out our Apple Podcast channel for more podcast content. Click below for a special deal of 99 cents for a three-month subscription to the Pittsburgh Post Gazette.